Hello and welcome to the 95th episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Perfect Universe by Will Sykes Games. Will, who are Hello. you? And what do you do? Hi, um, yeah, I'm, I'm Will Sykes, and I, I try and make games, or, or make games, perhaps I should say. Um, I'm, I'm primarily a programmer, but uh, I, I do, I, I, nowadays I do art, music, and design, and all the other shenanigans that go along with it, too. Quite a renaissance, man, from, from what I've experienced of Perfect Universe. Well, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I, I'm in the later part of my career, but I'm, I'm definitely uh, learning new things. And there's some bits of the music I'm going to ask you about because it, it tweaks my memory of certain tunes. from, ah. And I don't know, we'll talk about it later. I'm, really, I'm dying yeah. to ask you about it because it's... Yeah. Where's that from? Anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, there are a few influences in there, certainly. So, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games? Right, well, okay, so this is, this is probably a fairly long story, so I'm, I'm going to take, so. right. take it from the top, but I might, I might just gloss over a few things and we can come back to them, perhaps. Um, so I guess I, I started, I mean, probably most people of my generation, I started with the Spectrum, um, 48K Spectrum jobby. Um, and uh, just playing games, really. And it wasn't even my Spectrum. It was like a family computer that my mum bought for me and my brother. And, uh, yeah, we, we had great fun messing around on that. We did the, the occasion did the typing in programs from magazines and stuff, but um, it almost n- never got that to work. <laughs> um, and we did the occasional kind of poking bits of assembly in as well because you get the magazines with little pokes so you could cheat and that kind of stuff. But... Um, Further down the line, after getting really into computer games on the Spectrum, I, I managed to persuade my parents to buy me an Amiga for educational purposes. Um, Nicely done. Nicely yeah, done. and th- they were very <laughs> they were very hesitant and saying, no, you're just going to play games on it, aren't you? And, um, and I guess I sort of did really have that in mind, but I just loved games so much that I really wanted to make games. It was like a fantasy to make games, you know. I'm sure lots of lots of people in my generation sort of imagined games that were going to make but weren't necessarily expecting to actually ever do it. Um, and then and then the fantastic Amos came out, and um, I managed to get hold of a copy of Amos for free because it was on one of those brilliant Amiga magazine cover discs, and uh, and just start messing around with it. Um, you did that too. <laughs> I did that as well. Uh, so, I yeah, remember so that getting. Was the start. I remember getting the, the the compiler with it, but I had the ST version, not the Amiga version. But um, oh, wasn't that Stoss? Was yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So anyway, I I, I loved it, and I, I'd sort of make these half games for a while, and then eventually, like one summer, maybe when I was about twelve, thirteen, I made this sort of full two-player game that I called Kill or Die, which was the, the simplest and rubbishest of all games. Whereas it was kind of a two-player thing with a screen that just kind of um, went to the, the midpoint of two spaceships. Right. And the spaceships would just press a direction. It moves there, press the shoot button, it fires in that direction. And it was just try and shoot each other. Space um, War, then, before you even knew Space War existed. Well, yeah, but a lot more <laughs> rubbish than Space War. Um, so there was no real physics, so to speak. You oh, just, no, that's um, right, because it had um, a black hole. Well, yeah, that's right. This was yeah. almost... It, space War was quite sophisticated. It really, was, so. yeah. yeah. Um, so it was, it was sort of rubbish, but I, I polished it all up and put a front end on it and made it shiny and added sort of 
some, you know, sound effects and stuff. And then uh, my local shop had like a uh, a public domain distribution sort of box in it. So I sort of asked, like, can I put that in there? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he'd sort of tell me every time I'd go in to buy games, oh, a guy came and, and he purchased your game the other day. You know, and it was really satisfying. So I got I got addicted to it and I just spent all my time making computer games. Um, there was, a, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that perhaps, yeah, interesting little story. Maybe I will go into this. Um, so the, at school, there was kind of this weird myth about a game called the Bedroom Olympics that I'm sure didn't exist because I certainly never found it. Um, right. but this is, this is a sort of game like track and field where apparently okay. you apparently waggle the joystick to make people have sex. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And it was sort of one of those classic teenage myths of like, oh, have you played, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was more like a story for people to make jokes about how wouldn't it be funny if there was such a game. Yeah. So I kind of thought there's a market for this. So I made it <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I called it Rumpy Pumpy. And uh, I did it really, really crudely with these little tiny sprite characters that just yeah. you just waggle the joystick and it's like pop, 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 pop. <laughs> 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 a little meter at the bottom where a sperm wiggled up to the top. You get it to the top, and it just said you had come, oh. and uh, and gave you a time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, sorry for lowering the tone a little. Yeah, family show, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was probably I actually managed to sell that for like five pounds to oh, loads of people at school. Oh, so you know, did. yes, yes. Uh, it was uh, you know as a teenager that that was a very successful thing. Sponsored by Kleenex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, I didn't, I didn't then. Um, <laughs> I didn't then make any um, real games and sell them until until quite late on. I, I kind of went to uni and did software engineering because I just figured that's a, that'll be easy. I'll just do that and it'll right. be an easy pass and it'll just be a no brainer, which it was. So uni was just a drink fest. And um, I got uh, I got some work experience during that at Sony uh, in in 1999. Um, interesting time then. Um... They say 1998 was the absolute pinnacle of, of video games, one of them. There's like mm. milestone years, and I think 98 was when Half-Life and Baldur's Gate and stuff came out, if you remember. Yeah. But it was insane. It was absolutely, like, kept on uh, game after game. So, yeah, 99. Sorry. Yeah, one of the, no, it was one of the best times. And uh, obviously PS2 was sort of coming out around, I can't remember if that was yes. 2000. I, I was at E3 when they relaunched that, PS2. Oh, yes, I'm that old. I remember. So yeah, <laughs> and the Dreamcast was having it was sort of having its heyday as well around that time. I loved the Dreamcast. Glorious machine. Yep. yep. But my job was uh, I was supposedly developer support, but I was still at uni, <laughs> so I didn't have any clue. But I'd answer the phones and then sort of try and work out who to put them through to to best help people's problems. But my my real job was doing the um the cover discs, making the the you know the OPSM cover disc things. Right. Yeah, because the PS1 demo collection that was quite famous, wasn't it? When you got yeah. the machine, it was renowned for being very, very high quality. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was great. So we do we sort of do two every month because there was an, there was no PSM one, and then there was always some special thing going on as well, that, like some old demo collection because people people just really played the demos back then. Um, so it was just a sort of a compilation kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that that took me through uni and gave me a little bit of knowledge about what the games world was about. And uh, and then straight out of uni, I got a job working for uh, Climax, but Climax London, um, right? Which was which was the sort of smaller branch of Climax. I think it had just been acquired by Climax Brighton, 
making an, an, a never heard of game called Speed Kings, um, which was this sort of motorbike game. And uh, I didn't, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. I was sort of, you know, it was a baptism of fire, as it were. I got in, it's like, let's make the game. And the, the other people were students as well. There was basically one senior guy that really knew what he was doing. And the rest of us were all fresh out of uni. Right. Um, so we, I kind of did this thing of go into work on Monday and then work straight through, um, and then have a little bit of a sleep on Wednesday <laughs> and then work straight through again until Friday. Um, and we got this game done, and it was it was great. And I, I never worked late again after that. That was a yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shortens the life. So, yeah, don't it was, do it. I, I, it I, almost I, killed me, really, you know. But it was it, it's something that I felt I wanted to do at that time. When I first got into, it, I was like, I want to learn. I want to be good, you know. And then and then you do it, and you come out the other side a bit wiser. So never do that again. That was yeah, a silly yeah. idea. But and, and people expect you to do it. Like, you no, know, no. Yeah, yeah. Always, um, having done it and pushed yourself too hard, you can be quite strong at arguing with people when they expect you to do it because you say, I'm just not, and that's that. And it works. Yeah, it's either that or a psychotic episode. Your choice! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is yeah. basically the truth yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so, yeah, the climax eventually sort of went a bit bad and some it people did, got hand on a project. And I, I, the, the company was still going at that time, but it was, it was not looking great. I, I think we did, did this. GBA game called Witch, and then um, this guy, so Gary Lydon, who's a bit of an industry legend, was working at, at Climax as well, and he'd moved off and gone to set up this kind of contracting group for Microsoft, like troubleshooting various projects called Zen, and um, I went and worked with him on uh, like fixing up Crackdown, um, and did Crackdown in Dundee for a year and a half, which was uh, which was actually really nice. It was a really good game, Crackdown. It, it was it, a Corker of a game. Um, there's a, a good friend of mine, Dave Turner. Can I show you this really? Because it's a, he did a um, a video, one of the earliest play let's play videos. Like, you know, back before it was around, and uh, he did it. And he invented a game which he still regrets to this day. It's called Corpse Football. Which you right. oh, right, yeah. use. There you go. You got it. You yeah, used I the, can see how you do that. Yes, yeah. use the football to well a corpse to to and then you set it up and. He's, he, they would just sit there and play yeah. this ridiculous game and they put it up on the video and then he said, yeah, that's pretty offensive, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure you, I know you probably, the developers at the time were, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? I mean, you know, not? <laughs> it certainly hasn't been done before. I mean, no. as long as you're not doing it in real life. That no, and he, and, he, and he didn't repurpose it and set it on. He said, no, this is, this is the thing that I made out of a game. The most basic mod you could think of. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so we did crack down and um and that was all good but that was it was like a troubleshooting project so I didn't stay on at real time worlds because I was part of this Zen group thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I went off and did I did some features on Project Gotham 4 that was sort of adding um this LSP network features. Mm. Um, which was basically just it kind of allowed you to do thousands of players all playing the same competition. So you'd go in and qualify, and the, the top 10,000 would have been sent into playoffs of groups right. of eight, and then that would filter down. Wow. Um, it, it, I was hoping it would add more value, but it sort of didn't... People didn't really bother using it, because, you know, you had to qualify, and it was you had to be online at an exact time to compete and stuff like that. So it ended up being sort of the same 200 people that just won every competition or sort of entered it, because... They were the people that liked it, and everyone else in the world was just like a bit meh, whatever. <laughs> it's it's PGR. It's a great game, but yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I'm terrible at driving games. I love them, but I just, me I too, me too. I never qualified for any of the uh, 
it was really sad. I, I, having made this tournament, then I never qualified to be in one ever. <laughs> weird. I had this weird mental disconnect. Like, Chris, you know you're oversteering. I know. So why are you doing it? Because I am. <laughs> and what, why are you accelerating now? When you, you just know can't you help yourself. You, you just can't help yourself. It's like everyone has their limits. <laughs> I think it's something that we, we got taught by games in earlier variants of driving games, which yeah. is like, obviously, hold the throttle down at all times all and time. never break. Never um, break, yeah. And always steer by pushing the joystick to the maximum extent in either direction. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, things that obviously you shouldn't do, but I can't, you, you've just learned it from mm-hmm. 10 years or whatever of playing older games. And yeah. that's, that's how it should be. <laughs> how it should be. How else are you supposed to drive for pity's sake? I'm talking about Super Sprint here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so we uh, I went on we did some work on Two Human which I think Two Human is perhaps the longest development game ever I think it was actually longer than Duke Nukem I'm not sure because in the end because Duke Nukem did actually come out it did but well it's... so that, I think that was well anyway the, the Two Human it, it did come out it wasn't it I wasn't was a complete Team Fortress 2 I'm in mean, Team Fortress 2. Well, maybe it was. Well, it was, it's one of those crazy had been in development forever ones, and Microsoft just put us on in a like, we're just going to release this thing, yeah. whatever. You know, it's going to come out in six months, so make it acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a salvage job, really, I think. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, then, uh, you know, this being rushed from project to project just kind of continued with me. I, I, I left Zen Group and kind of tried to, to settle down somewhere, as it were. Right, and uh, I found this nice company called Oxygen, where we made we were making DS games, and we were we were pumping out these kind of games for kids. Um, so there was <laughs> just to give you an idea of the type of game that one was called My Secret Diary, and then there was My Makeup and My Dress Up. Um, right, you kind of getting an idea of the tapping into yeah. that eight year old girl market there. Nice. Absolutely, and we we did we did quite a lot of these in a short space of time, so they they were. <laughs> I don't know. I think people liked them. Certainly one of them, the one called My Friends, I'm actually quite proud of, I think was pretty good. But um, really it was just milking a market. Um, and sadly, in the recession, Woolworths basically bought, were our sort of primary buyer. They bought like half a million of our stock um, and then didn't pay for it because they went under having yes. received it. And that was it. That was that was our financial reserves. And so the company just closed. Wow. Uh, so I had to crawl back to Zen and say, what are you doing now? And they turned into Ruffian um, and were making Crackdown 2. So right. the, the networking on Crackdown 2. Um, then then moved on to Sony. Like, uh, basically, I didn't want to be in Dundee. And, you know, they, they were up in Dundee. Um, so I moved on to Sony where I... Uh, I did something completely different than all the other stuff I'd done. So you went was, back to Sony was, then? Yeah, I went back to Sony. It was sort of, my theory was that when I'd been at Sony younger, I'd kind of seen lots of people that almost retired there. They just stayed there and were happy there. And I was starting to feel by this time that like I'm just a, a nomad, like a rolling stone. I keep yeah, yeah. being at different places. And I kind of wanted to find somewhere to settle down um, and, and, you know, develop a bit rather than rushing around. And um so I became a manager, I guess, at Sony. I was a sort of a, a lead, and we were doing this thing called Wonderbook. Um, oh, so I was yeah. Making, yeah. making the technology from Wonderbook. So this was mm. the vision technology that recognized the book rather That's than true. the bit that was the actual game. Okay. Um, and we did it, and it was sort of all very good. But after releasing it, um, the game side of it didn't seem to sell very well. And... Uh, 
the actual desire for doing augmented reality and computer vision seemed to suddenly just drop out. And um, there wasn't really scope at Sony for this enormous group that I'd sort of built up of, you know, experts and doctors and PhD people um, that did this computer vision stuff. And so it was sort of, it was a bit game over, really. And the, the group lost its power and everything sort of dismantled itself. So I decided to leave. Um and try something different again, which was uh, which was the mobile world. Um, I went to work with us two, and we made a game called Monument Valley, which oh, um, yes, which turned out to be a massive, massive ultra hit. Yes, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I just just really zenned out to it. I just yeah, yeah well done. So, yeah. yeah, so it was it was nice. I mean, I, so I did I did a lot of the graphics code. Um, actually, I did a lot of the code. I wasn't lead on it, but. Um, yeah. I did most of it. Unfortunately, what happened is the actual guy that was supposed to be lead on it broke his arm really, oh, really badly um, a, a month after sort of development, or two months into development. He, he basically broke his arm, this is so sad, running um, to quickly get to see the first showing of um, uh, Pacific Rim. That film's entertaining, but it doesn't break, it's not break arm. He broke his arm so badly that he, you know, he got nerve damage and everything in his fingers, and it was, you know, got pins, and so he was, he was off for ages. Yeah, um, it, takes, it takes weeks, months yeah. actually to recover yeah. from that. Sometimes even years. Yeah, but we we got the thing done, and it was Don't it was you? excellent. I mean, it was a very 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 polished product, um, and there were some people with some really strong vision about how to about what they wanted to make. And kind of during that time, there was sort of on one hand, I was watching going, wow, you know, this is a really strong, like, you're going to make this thing. And, you know, it worked well and did some, you know, I think quite state of the art stuff for iOS. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't it just wasn't my kind of game because it was a it was a product. It was this very mass mass appeal product, but not not old school gamey. You know, yeah. it was very much like everyone will be able to get through this. And the the kind of key focus was. We want people to love it, not necessarily have, in quotes, fun in it. You know, fun is not as important as its goodness. And I respect that. It's, it's an entertainment product, and it is a brilliant one. But I wanted to do, like, gamey games. Um, yeah. so For me, I mean, I, I found it it tweaked a little nerve. Do you remember Sentinel? On yes, the, I yeah, do, yes. It was a little bit, there's a little bit of a puzzly bit mm. of it, but it wasn't, there was no threat no, that's you know what I mean. Well, Sentinel I, was terrifying. <laughs> later level. <yeah. laughs> oh God! Oh God! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sentinel, very early 3D. Yes. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, there was there was no threat, and it was possible we could have made levels in Monument Valley that were that were sort of gamey, but it, it was not. It would have made it less successful. Like w- the way that the product has come out is the right way. It's it's the maximum way for it to be successful, but. You know, when you're working in games, you're not really doing it for the money. That's that's not the thing. You're doing it because there's a thing that you, for some reason, just want to be involved in. And it's not necessarily about the success of a product. It's about the the sort of natural just desire to make a certain kind of thing or experience a certain kind of thing. Um, so so I left the us two guys at that point. Um, in I mean, in very on very good terms. Yes. Um, but really, just with a sort of, I just want to make this other, I think maybe I've got to go back to console or something like that kind of feeling in my mind. And um, and I took on uh, the sort of contracting role of just kind of doing work for hire. Um, I did some work on Project Cars, and uh, and I ended up doing quite a lot of work for us two. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, but on on double the pay because I was you know now a consultant contractor and uh, we did um, did lots of things at virtuality things Lands End is the most recent one. Um, but that's really just been a way for me to pay myself while I've been making my own games. And really, the very instant that I left us to is when I, this, this sort of perfect universe project started um, yeah. to take place. So, um, I mean, I guess I can save stories about that for when we talk about perfect universe later. But yes, indeed, I think that's that's, that's the very long history of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm really impressed, and uh, it's great to to chat to you about and hear the stories about that. We have. We have developers on here that they sort of go, oh, I just graduated, and, and that's great. <laughs> and it's like, I've done what I'm doing, I'm making this up as I go along. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what most people in the games industry do. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's fine. And then here, it's, and then we have people like yourself who've been doing this for decades. Absolutely yeah. decades. Yeah. And it's interesting, you, 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 you sort of like stumbled on similar things to me, but uh, both on divergent paths as well as creating, like, here's me, a commentator, if you will. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's that's where, where I've gone. Uh, and that's you know it, we all have our own roles to play, if you will. <laughs> yes, um, well, I'm trying to find mine still. I think. <laughs> well, I think you found it. Uh, yeah. Says, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in the second half. So, what are your um, biggest influences as a creator? Then you think? Wow. Well, I mean, so the influences come from all over, I guess. Um, I mean, I think that there's a very strong thing where having worked in both in mobile on a successful sort of AAA mobile game, like, like I mean, I guess if you can call it AAA, but something like Monument Valley, which is a sort of a very top of the range mobile game and having worked in a sort of top of the range, you know, classic AAA console game gives me this weird, unique perspective of sort of seeing the good of both, because I think they're very different types of uh, of thing. Um, and so I guess I kind of, yeah, creatively I draw from both of those different worlds, and I, I like this sort of place somewhere in the middle of that, where it's sort of... The thing about console games these days is they've become... Well, or PC games, perhaps I should say, is that they maybe have become a bit too hardcore for someone um, that's... I'm not old, but that's not a twenty-something. Like when, when you when you're married yeah. and stuff, you yeah. have time to play games, definitely. But you don't really have the ability to sit down at the weekend, start playing on Friday, and then finish a game on Sunday, having sort of played it mostly all the way through and just had a bit of a sleep and it's some meals. You know? Exceptionally rare. It's usually like it might be over Christmas or something weird like that. Or might, but you're right. It's exceptionally <laughs> rare. And there's also the hand-to-eye coordination thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, they get harder as well. It gets hard, gets hard. Um, but um, uh, so I kind of like this sort of middle ground where, where you've got all the gameplay goodness and the, the depth and immersion of a console game, but maybe some of the 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 ability to dip in for you know an hour or four hours or whatever and just have a go and then kind of put it down and be like, I'll come back later. I don't need to play it right the way through. I don't need to you know take this thing really seriously and play for eight hours on the trot. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's you know one of my influences or the factors that influence me, I think, is the fact that I've worked in both of those two things. Um, but I mean, influence is such a broad thing. That's just like I what know. you like, and I, I like space, and I like science fiction, and I like games, and I like music. And it's a it's a question that I'm I went to asking. However, I've had got some great answers, yes. ranging well. from my dog. <laughs> <laughs> to to correct the universe itself, which I yeah. think is a brilliant answer. To say, well, the universe we inhabit—it's pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I think it's, it's pretty. Not it's, it's not. Yeah. It's not bad, is it? 
No, it's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I think I'm inspired by that. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So speaking of people being inspired by, um, yeah, there's a segue, Chris. You just mentioned it. Um, is who do you most admire? Could be a wow, group okay. Or a well, I sort of feel like the thing is, I admire people that that do their own thing. You know, right. people that have a strong desire to make something and they just go and do it. So. You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of excellent people that are working for the man still, and I've spent a lot of my days working for the man, and and it's good, and you can be you can be very skilled, and you know, I'm not trying to invalidate that, but then there are these these occasional brave people that break off doing that and go and successfully make something awesome, and yeah. like I'm trying to do that, and I haven't become massively successful or anything yet, but I, but there are people that have, and I I just sort of feel that all of them. I kind of, you know, when you find out how on earth they did it, it's it's always quite magnificent and impressive. And you're like, God, you know, you must have had some real balls to do this or that or the other. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the thing that I like most is, I guess you could call them artists, really. People mm-hmm. that just that just drop out trying to pay the bills and just go, whatever, I'm going to make this thing because I just I feel that I have to do it. Um I mean, saying that, there's a lot of other people I've worked with that I just admire because they're technically excellent, but that's not so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone particularly just going to say... Well, the, the us two guys are fantastic. I mean, they're, they're, they are incredibly good at working stuff out and working out what's good. Like, they, they take UX very, very seriously. And there are people that make games and just say, we don't care what the users think, we think it's good. And then there's us two, and they're like, if the users don't like any aspect of it, then we're taking it right back to the drawing board and getting it perfect. Um, which is it's kind of hard to deal with when you're working on it with them because it's so perfectionist, but it does make things a lot better when they do that. Um, so, I mean, this is something I've said before, but the, the act of creation is actually very destructive. Uh, and yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of throwing away and a lot of pain and sort of having to let go of things that you wanted to do. Um, Have you ever had a situation where you're like, you know what, that looks that that's a good idea. I like that idea, and you've spent this long on it, but not on this game. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to yeah. go somewhere else. But absolutely, yeah, you, you you make something, you prototype, you take it to a certain point, and then you go, well, that was that. Then let's just start again and do something else. Yeah, so just, yeah. You, you don't have to burn the thing; you can just leave it. No. Off. You know, dangling. One day I'll finish that off. But yeah, it's like that was a good idea, but not for this game. We'll put it for something else. Yeah, so I've got hundreds of prototypes sitting around that are just sort of not finished because I really don't know quite what to do with them. Yeah, (laughs) they're they're a bit interesting, but not quite the thing. The act of finishing a game, as you know, Mm. is an extraordinary thing. Yes, actually finish it. Yes, and there's something you know. I said to developers, and I was like, "Well done for finishing it." Again, sounding patronising. I'm really not being patronising. <laughs> no, it's the hardest bit. <laughs> it's just, yeah, make, just make do the, the menu. Finish it, impossible. Yeah. yeah, Do the menu. No. It's the easiest bit. No, I'm not doing it, because that means it's finished. I don't want it finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the fact that the, the, the bugs just go on forever and ever as well. There is no end. You can always find a bug in any game. Yes. Um, you, you have to. There, there has to be some point at which you just decide. Well, look, I can't see many bugs, so that will have to be all the bugs, you know, because yeah. they're infinite. They're infinite. Every time you fix one, there's a new one. Um, yeah, it's it's whack a mole, but of the worst kind. Yeah, um, you, just, you have to hope that the ones left are ones that no one will ever see or know about. That's that's the secret. I was recently listened to an interview about um, uh, I think called Digital Eclipse, who specialise in recreating or repurposing old. 8-bit or 16-bit or old computer games or video games mm. putting them on modern machines and consoles and things. They've been doing it for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that 
they put great pains into making sure that they don't fix any of the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, those bletchers are an important part of nostalgia. Exactly, yeah. they're a part of like, where's that invisible platform from? Nowhere, it shouldn't be there. <laughs> well, it's like it's like the translation. I mean, what would all your base all belong to us be if it wasn't grammatically wrong? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it would just be all your base belong to well, all of your bases. It would, it would just be boring, wouldn't it? I mean, it's yeah, got to be boring. We've conquered all of your bases. We have conquered your bases. Yeah, <laughs> you can't uh, imagine that being a classic. That's yeah, and it, there's, there's there's many other um, poorly trained, but that's the the old classic, isn't it? Yeah, congratulations, being yeah. Like yes, there's that one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. So <laughs> the last question, and uh, we spoke about this before the show. I hope you got an answer for this one. Mm. <laughs> what are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually playing quite a lot of things. I mean, uh, yeah. so I just finished some. I, I sort of tend to to take all the things that come for free and always play them, right? So right. as a base, things like all the PS Plus games. Yes. Um. So I just finished Broforce. Yes. What a work of excellence that is. That was awesome. It's so fun. And, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just the names, just purely the, the innovative naming factors, just going right the way through. The part of the fun is just what name will they come up with next? Who yeah. will the next bro be? Yeah, um, and it's just the love, the just unashamed encouragement for you, like go, 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 like. <laughs> Yeah, just kill everything. Um, it's and, great, and, and the, the bosses with their just pure evil ridiculousness. I so, mean, oh. yeah. and they're so big, far too big. Yeah, they're, they're it's, so it's, big it's they actually are outside the screen most of the time. <laughs> like, I, I wish I'd got to play it in co-op mode because obviously it's got that co-op thing in it, right? Which yeah. you can see when you start it up. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have anyone near me that plays games anymore. So. I have actually experienced the joys. Of uh, four-player co-op. Is it? Oh my god! Is it as is it as joyous as one might imagine? You'd be yeah, but the, <laughs> some of the there's MacGyver. I can't remember Mabrova. Is he called? I don't oh, know. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's one of the dynamite, you know, and he yeah. is the most useless. Oh, so you just mess everyone else up. Yes, you like. mess everyone else up, and no one cares. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's bro force. So you just laugh, and you you just. It's a wonderful. I had through my friend with just uh, it's just uh, one of the funniest things I've done in a long time, and we got really far. You know, mm. we were still laughing our heads off. Like, will you rescue me? No, no. Hang on. Here we go. Here we go. And he rescued, and, and it's like, what am I now? Oh, I'm braid. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is annoying that you have to occasionally be the rubbish bro. Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, all right. I'm the crap guy. Fine, yeah. let's have a go. <laughs> but um, yeah, Robocop is pretty good, and. Um, there's also you can high five with the other players. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You do that at the end with the president. You get yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, and when you do that, you get special bonuses and stuff. And it's just we discover we could have discovering more and more things. But yeah, thumbs up on Broforce. Well done, sir. So yeah. So I mean, that was you know I just had to play it. It's there, so I played it, and it turns out to be very fun. Um, I guess other things. I mean, my go-to that I just do when I don't have a game to play is I still play Battlefield Four um, because it's just. I mean, it's, so, it's such a default game, you know, just, it's just a shoot-in-the-face game, but okay. it, it's great. It's just brilliant. I just love it. Um, okay. And, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've got all the expansion-y things. Um, and so that's my kind of safe, I need some fun, but I don't have a new game thing. Right. Um, but then, obviously, also Street Fighter Five. I'm still, every now and then I have to go back to it, because when I, when I see the US2 guys, they take it really seriously. So I try and not embarrass myself too much when I go and visit them. 
Um, they always win, obviously, but it's just yeah. about how much they thrash me. Um, so it's interesting. I'm not really a button masher, so I'm not that. I'm not, you know, a Soul Calibur player, although I do right. like Soul Calibur uh, for what it is. <laughs> mm. But um, I'm just, I know what to do, but again, the hand-to-eye coordination isn't there. Well, you have to, straight far, you have to take it so seriously. You have to, yeah. pra- like they, every evening, they all sit there for two hours and practice doing all the combos and stuff. They, yeah. like, they, they actually, it's like a sport. Yes. Um, yeah. But, uh, of course, the other thing I've been doing is just playing, so I've got a Gear VR, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to do various virtual reality things. Okay. Um, of my own. And I, uh, I, I've got a Gear VR, so I just play with that. You know, I still you know, use it for Netflix and the obviously <laughs> experience and, there's there's kind of lots of cool free stuff on it that you can just kind of have a look at. Um, I, I have to say, I think it's a very awesome bit kit actually. Um, and I needed a new phone anyway, so I had, you know I bought the right phone, and then it's only eighty quid on top of that. So I just feel like you know it's a, it's an absolute bargain for a bit of VR. Yeah, uh, um, I, I actually got an iPhone success. That's a stupid thing to do um, uh, for that. Yes. Uh, it doesn't work. Um, but um, I've actually pre-ordered a PlayStation one. Because my mm-hmm. PC isn't quite powerful enough, and I could upgrade it, uh, but then the extra six hundred quid, like yeah. Well, I'm gonna. Yeah. I think I'm gonna do that as well. I'm gonna upgrade to the uh, my graphics card so I can do some Vive stuff for uh, mm. for maybe a, a virtual reality version of Perfect Universe. Um, because I, I've done a virtual reality version of Perfect Moon, which was the the sort of precursor to Perfect Universe on Perfect. Right. Um, and it's, I just, I sort of did it for fun, just to sort of see what it would be like. And then just thought it was really, really cool. Um, so I've, I've put it out on the, the store, but it's, it's been sitting there for three weeks. So it hasn't come out yet, I think. There's a very long turnaround on the Oculus store. Oh, but, uh, okay. Anyway, yeah. so yes, that's cool. my plan. But I will eventually, I mean, I'm going to upgrade the PC eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that point, I'm like, hmm, choose which one. But at the moment, I've definitely gone for the PlayStation one because, a is the cheapest, and B probably be most well supported. I, I don't know. It, I mean, I, I was I was still at Sony at the beginning of that, and did some uh, things. I think it would be very good. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they'd always planned to have that price point. They were they were sort of like, you know, if we don't have that price point, it's not going to work. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm assuming there's a breakout box for it to work because the, the machine is not powerful enough. But I don't know. I, I think yeah. it's pretty powerful actually. PS4 is pretty brilliant bit of hardware, I think. Yeah. Very elegantly put. I will. I will obviously also. I'm going to get all of them. I, I, all the, give me all the <laughs> reality, please. It's all, all good. Can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, Although yeah. I don't like doing it, uh, going demoing it at the expos because of pink eye. Yeah. Pink yeah, eye. Yeah, it's an it's, it's an infection you get in the eye due to being exposed to um, feces. Oh. So right. what happens is people go to the toilet. They don't wash their hands. Then they put use a VR unit. Then you put it on, and therefore you've got their poo in your eye. Okay. And then nice. you get pink eye. Yeah. Nice. Well, this is doubly horrible because when you get the pink eye, you know that it's being caused by someone's yeah. feces. Yeah, on, and, on and when I went to PAX about three or four years ago, when VR was first coming to be, there was an, you know, it was everywhere. It's horrible. Yeah, mm. lovely. So ever since then, I have this neurosis about doing it at Expos. <laughs> <laughs> VR. Yeah, I can I can see why. I don't. I yeah, it's, it's not. Doing. It's not rational, but it's just like, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, I, I haven't done VR at an expo either. So no, it's just it, yeah. Anyway, you can't really get a proper sense for what it's like there either, because you're all you know you're in. It's not. You need to be in a relaxed environment. I think you do. Get good out games. Anything else before we move on to the second half of the show? Um, no, no. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. So. Second half where we talk in detail about Perfect Universe.
first question, which is the zeroth question. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Perfect Universe. Wow. So Perfect Universe is a um, it's a collection of games um, held together with the theme of of playing with gravity. Um, and it's it's for it's for Steam and well PC Steam and uh, and PlayStation Four very soon hopefully. Uh, the games, ooh, they're so variable. But the uh, there are three single player games, um, ranging from uh, kind of running around and jumping from planet to planet to flying a spaceship around. Um, and then there are also uh, six multiplayer uh, sort of couch couch multiplayer uh, games, uh, kind of you know, volleyball, racing, um, dodgeball, golf, that kind of thing. Uh, there's kind of a lot to it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, could, I guess I could keep going on this question. Yeah, well, it, uh, the next questions expand on all those things, and then some, I like yeah. to think. So, but that's it, really. Thank you. Great mm. pitch. Thumbs up. Well done. <laughs> uh, why a collection of games? Why? Well, why did you do that? Well, you, you could have right. focused on one or two, but no, you made a collection. Why? Yeah, so I guess if we go back to kind of a feeling we've always had, um, back in my maybe 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 in my early twenties, um, playing some of the newer sort of snazzy 3D shiny games. Um, like I think I might have particularly had this thought when playing one of those wave race type games, or I don't know, wave race. It was one of those you know drive a boat around on amazing water games. And I kind of thought, like after completing it, you know, this engine is amazing. This sort of this environment, all this modelling, all this detail, all these trees and grass and all these things look amazing, but the only game in this world is just racing a boat around. It seems like a crazy waste, because surely with almost no code, you could just put the ability to walk a guy around, or or drive a little car around, or do some, or even have a different type of boat vehicle, maybe a kayak or something, and, you know, it wouldn't really add much sort of work, was my thought, but you'd get such a richer world. And I guess that did kind of happen to an extent with things like Grand Theft Auto further down the road. But my, yeah, and Mario Kart eventually embraced yeah. that, didn't it? So. But I just kind of thought you've already got all of that engine, so why don't you kind of do stuff with it? Yeah. So, so with Perfect Perfect Universe, it kind of so I'd, I'd originally started by making a game called Perfect Moon, um, which was a mobile game, and my idea was that the the sort of the big market at the moment is mobile, but I'm going to make, in my perhaps misguided wisdom, a, a gamer's game, but for phone. Um, so the idea was to make a, you know, it's a it's a platform game, um, but with all the sort of, uh, I guess, depth of a, a gamer's platform game rather than the casual, the complete casualness of a lot of phone games. And uh, I came up with a, what I thought was a control system, which, while different than a virtual control pad, um, I thought was was very tangible and actually responsive and worked, and made this game for phone. And what happened was, of course, it, it had very positive reviews, but it had zero discoverability because my theory was it's the wrong kind of thing for the phone platform in that the, while there's a huge market on phone, a lot of the people there, they want to play a, a sort of a, a, a throwaway, no-brainer game for killing time on the train. They're just like, look, just give me something to do while I'm waiting for my train to arrive. I mean, obviously, people want to play real games as well, but the larger part of the market, I think, is a bit that. So Perfect Moon, 
it didn't it didn't become a runaway success. Uh, but I kind of thought the game was still really good, and all everyone that played it thought it was awesome. Um, uh, everyone that played it that was a gamer, at least. Um, anyone that wasn't a gamer simply couldn't do it. And was like, this is too difficult. This is a proper game. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, so I kind of thought, well, all right, let's let's make it on console. And I kind of think I always really wanted to make a game on a console anyway. Right. So I, I decided to make it for PS4. Um, but I kind of thought, well, I can't I'm not just going to make this for PS4. I mean, really, with with Perfect Moon as well, I perhaps released it a bit early in a sort of panic attack, thinking let's just get this out because I'm not sure I'm going to get any money. <laughs> right. Um, but um. So I started working on the PlayStation 4 version and almost immediately kind of felt like, let's, let's see what else I can do with this, with this gravity sort of thing that I've got going on because Perfect Moon kind of has this, this very weird universe or world or whatever that it's set in. Um, and I kind of thought, well, why just have a guy running around in this environment when it will be almost no code for me to just try out putting a spaceship in there, for example? And I sort of tried it out and was like, oh, my God, this is really fun as well. And very different, like feels completely different, even though it's the same rules. This is effectively a whole nother game. And I've seen games that do this horrible thing I didn't like. Um, I, I know that MDK2 did this, where they effectively got three different games. But you do a level of one game and then you're forced to do a level of a different game and then a level of a different game. And what tends to happen is one of those games is your favorite one but you're forced to have to do levels of what is effectively the shit one right. every other level. Yeah. Um, and I figured that it, it's not necessarily objective which one is the shit one. It's simply that every person is always going to have a, I like this one best. So don't make them do a different one. So while Perfect Universe could have been a whole load of different levels with different things happening on each of them, I figured it was better to separate them out and just have it such that they were unconnected. So if you didn't like a particular game mode, it's fine. You don't have to play it. You can do all the other stuff. It's still there. You can play it. If it's not your favorite, do the other ones first. Come back to it when you, uh, when you want to. I kind of felt there's no way that it should be able to devalue the rest of it. No. Um, so that kind of grew these other games. There was also a prototype that I'd had around for ages about controlling this two-legged alien thing. Yeah. And I really had wanted to do something with it. Um, and I found that, you know, people found it quite difficult to control. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that that really was part of the game. Um, okay. And I just kind of figured that given that I was making uh, a collection, almost a collection of games, um, this was the perfect place to put it in because people couldn't, you know, people can like it or not like it. Whereas on its own, it would be very, it's very risky. Some people would have loved it. Some people maybe wouldn't have loved it. Um, yes, it's, it's almost quop-like. It is. It's very quop-like. It's yeah. a bit more doable than quop, but yes. it's definitely of that ilk. Yeah. So then once I'd got these kind of three, uh, I guess, single-player game modes, I, I just kind of let myself roll and just went, well, wouldn't it be fun if you could also do this or do that or do the other? And that's where all these multiplayer games came out. Because um, right. I guess my favorite thing has always been, like, local multiplayer. That's that. I mean, I remember back in the N64 days, I wouldn't let myself buy a game unless it had four-player support. I was just like, no, that's you know, that's the best bit. It's got to be in there. I'm not buying it. Um, I was back at uni when it was very easy to quickly get, you know, three people to come into your room. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, not so much the case now. No. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of loved that thing. I just I let go. I, I had all sorts of ideas. A lot of them didn't make the cut. I mean, there was a lot more than nine, you know, original games. There was. Mm -hmm. uh, 
all sorts of crazy things, but that some of them were just rubbish. <laughs> so for, for the greater good, they did not make it in. Um, but yeah, I had a friend come and stay for a few days and we just played through all of them and kind of ironed them out and, uh, perfected them. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how we ended up with the collection. Um, it was sort of an organic, an organic thing rather than necessarily a, a totally intentional decision at the beginning, I think. So I'm going to ask you about the presentation, how it's presented. It's very mm. unique. Um, it seems to be, it, it comes across initially, uh, and, uh, as, as simple, but then you look at the animation, it's all very fluid. Mm. There's a lot going on. Could you tell us how this came to be? Yeah, okay, so yes, we've got a sort of, the game has a sort of pencil-drawn style to it. Um, yes. I think, I mean, so there's there's sort of multiple ways to look at this. Because, um, of course, on one angle, I, I just think it looks good, and I've sort of done it because it's like, oh, yes, that's how it should look. But then there's another sort of interesting angle on this, which is I wanted to make a full game, and I'm just one guy, and I don't have an artist, and I'm not really a pro model. I'm a programmer. Um so modelling is not my strong point, and textures certainly not. So I kind of, you know, before I started making it, it was back before Perfect Moon, kind of sat for ages, you know, for weeks, kind of fiddling around, going, how can I make a game art style that I can viably do um, without it looking rubbish in any way? You know, something okay. that will keep the content down, so I don't have to, you know, spend a week on, on every screen doing drawing textures and so on. Um, but do that, but without people feeling there's something lacking. Um, and I sort of originally had a few colours in there, but I ended up with this completely black and white pencil drawn thing because it, as soon as I got rid of all colour, there was this miraculous thing happen and it suddenly looked like a drawing and it looked right. And that sort of evolved from there that then I sort of got did more complex shaders and um, added a sort of uh, a paper texture to the background and then worked out, you know, sort of analyzing drawing styles that I liked, sort of Japanese ink art and that kind of thing. And sort of going, how, you know, how what are the rules of how the actual drawings normally work? And then trying to modify the shaders and textures and things to try and get that effect to come through. And I think. What it ends up looking like, oddly, is like one of my slightly lame drawings that I would do if I were <laughs> to just draw something on, on a piece of paper. And, and in stills, I think the game doesn't really look, it doesn't look that great in still. It's only no. when it starts moving that something's yes. like, wow, oh, wow, that looks really nice. Like, it's like the something... inverse of Amstrad games. Um, <laughs> yes. sorry to go retro on you again, but as a kid, I had an Amstrad and the, the stills looked amazing. Then it yes. started moving. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was bad. Whereas here, you have this simplistic sketch sort of style. But honestly, mm. it's the animation. It's so detailed. And the one thing that struck me is the water. How yeah. you did the water, I don't know. But it's yeah, just, it, yeah. it looks so good. And it's just lines. Yeah, it's it's really weird how you get that. It's magic, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it is magical. You kind of go, just, there's just only like four lines there, but somehow it looks like this rich, wobbling, amazing thing. Yeah. Yes, and thing you should avoid. Um, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there yeah. were uh, there were yeah, that was a long old shader. That one it took a long time to do. I actually I spent quite a lot of time doing all sorts of sophisticated shaders. Sometimes not doing very much with them. So there's a there's a sophisticated two like two color volumetric cloud in one of the levels that I was hoping to be able to do more with, but it ended up just being oh well, it sort of works. I'll leave it in that level, and I never did anything else with it. But it that was sort of two weeks of work on just this. <laughs> 
volumetric cloud thing. Uh, in my mind, it was going to be much more exciting being able to sort of wobble this 3D cloud around, but um, in reality, it was just a cloud. <laughs> so um, sticking to the presentation then, I want to talk about the music. Um, it's very, um, well, how can I put it? Uh, it's it, It's not... Some of it's got a high tempo to it. Mm. Most of it's quite relaxing. Um, can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess for, for, I guess digital music, if you could call it that, this is my first, first outing into that. I, I've, I've always kind of played guitar and a little bit keyboards and random musical instruments, um, you know, since I was a teenager. But, uh, I never really kind of tried to do digital stuff until I had to make my own full computer game, at which point I kind of realized I can't do a live recording of a guitar track or some folk music for my game. That would be really peculiar. Um, so I just kind of had to, <laughs> had to try it out. And, um, I kind of jumped into it and just all automatically found this sort of, I guess, film music-y style. Cause it's just what tends to happen when I kind of pick up a keyboard and just start playing. And it just is kinda... oddly all over the place in a good way. Yeah. Cause the game is all over the place. So <laughs> I, I guess as I, as I, as I went through, as I, you know, carried on working on the game, I got better at, yeah. at this process. But there's a few tracks in there that I'm really proud of that I think just somehow just bring this sort of slight bit of emotion through that I think, you know, people can, can feel and sort of get something out of. I mean, obviously not everyone is touched by everything because different people have different tastes. Um, but yeah, so the beginning part of it was, was learning how to do these things. But then as, with the original Perfect Moon, I made a, a different music track for each level was the original plan. But that right. kind of ended up stretching me a bit too thinly. Um, so then by the time I, by the time Perfect Universe was being implemented, it was more, let's have a strong theme for each game mode and kind of, and do that. And then try and have an overarching musical theme that ties all the things together. And uh, kind of being new to this digital world of, of music, I, I struggle to find inspiration um, sort of automatically. I'm not used to where I find the inspiration from. So I'd sort of, you know, listen around and go, well, I'm going to listen to some other computer game music and kind of see what ends up happening. So after doing, the, you know, the initial main theme sort of melodies, as it were, the rest of the tracks were mostly composed by going on YouTube and listening to classic computer game music that I liked from the past and then sort of just going, right, now write something and see what comes out. And you end up sort of subconsciously bringing little aspects of various melodies through. Yeah. So I've certainly noticed that there's bits of baseline from flashback. um, (laughs) Maybe that was it. In some of them. Um, And sort of you only notice these things in hindsight. You don't do it on purpose. And it's certainly not wholesale. It's more like, what what is that thing? It's like... So yeah, there's bits from flashback. There's bits from there's bits that sound like a game I played called CJ's Elephant Antics. I remember from when I was a kid, really liking. Although in hindsight, that was a bit of a rubbish game, but I did really enjoy it at the time. So I can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's just these odd themes that somehow you listen to in these long these long old computer game music tracks, and then it's sort of oh yeah, there it is. That's the thing. There's one piece. It's very short, and I think Hmm. it's an ascending scale. Okay, yeah. And then, it, and then it happens when you finish the level. Ah, uh, yes, okay. So that's been through multiple incarnations, that. It yeah. Was a, it was a little bit more annoying originally. And I mean, you like it. 
Some of, well, so, so the original version was a bit, was like, and like people playing it would sort of be playing it and all, all gentle and then suddenly, and they'd be like, ah, what's, what's what, What's that? Um, yeah. So, uh, so I took, I took the same, same theme and just tried to gently, softly play it on a piano. And I think I, I made it so soft that it's actually a bit weirdly pleasant and people end up playing the game and while playing it going, -na 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 -na, over and over again. They do, yeah. It's That's very, very catchy. It's in my head now. Um, it's a great earworm. Well done. There's, there's some, yeah, some of the tracks do that to people. Like, certainly I remember my friend playing, so the one that's on the, the options music, is like one that he particularly doesn't like and has this very strong sort of uh, simple bass line to it. Yeah. But obviously the first thing that he does when he plays games is always turn the music down. It's like, look, I don't want music. I'm going to listen to my own music. Goes into the options screen, which forces him to listen to this bit of music while he turns it down and then comes out with it stuck in his head. <laughs> and it's like, he just can't help it. It's like it's guaranteed to, uh, to get in there somehow. And yeah, there is something catchy about them, but uh, it's it's beginner's luck to an extent, I have to say. Like I've been doing music for a long time, but I haven't done this kind of thing no. before, and I've really enjoyed doing it because obviously you do lots of you do lots of stuff musically, and then some of it is like, no, that's no good. We're throwing that away, throwing that away. And the, the good ones, when you make a good one, it's really like, oh, I've done a good one, awesome. What do you think of this? You know, and <laughs> you kind of work it up a bit. It's um, it's like a little mini version of make computer game for each song. Really. Yeah. But, uh, that's, yeah. that's, that's amusing when you hear musicians say, oh, I spent like a year writing this album. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Christ, yeah. Seriously, what are you doing? That is amazing when people say that. Well, they're mostly they're taking drugs, aren't they? I mean, yes, they're yes, that, that is true. They're, yeah, they only spend about a week actually recording the album. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think Nirvana spent very little time on their... Uh, and never mind. I think it was about a week. They hated recording, so they lived pretty fast, though, didn't they? They so. did. One little bit too fast. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then you got nice Dave being nice. So, <laughs> top and tail. These last question. Mm -hmm. um, I started asking something quite abstract and almost glib. Why a collection? Um, I wanted to delve deep into why localized gravity effects. What was your obsession with? Objects of mass, okay. other objects to be attracted to each other. So, okay. <laughs> so, so this goes back to a, an experimental project that I did uh, quite a while back, um, maybe six years ago. It was like uh, it was a PC game that I was making. I was just going to put out free because I did lots of uh, uh, while working in the AAA industry. I've always been just making the odd game that's sort yeah. of very not high effort and just putting it out to you know people to have a go with and this experiment was um it was before the days of no man's sky and all that kind of stuff before all that stuff existed and possibly before mario galaxy although possibly not but the idea was can i make a planet that you can be on and sort of it doesn't look like you're on a planet when you're on it so it's a sort of a a third-person game where you're on a planet, but it looks like there's just the real horizon, but in actual fact, you can run right the way around it. Um, and it was a kind of, you know, this was this 3D project. And I tried to make this thing, and I did. I made this uh, this short game called Lonely Man, which is you can probably find it somewhere on the web. Um, okay. And uh, it was... Uh, it was really, I really enjoyed making it, but it was very hard because it was a 3D planet and there was so much data and I was, you know, much worse at modeling back then. So it was a lot higher effort to model everything. 
Um, again, it's got it's got music in it, but at, at this point, it was all guitar music, so it's a little bit uh, strange and misfitting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, again, 3D graphics. It's just you, it's harder to to produce content when you've got a full 3D game than when you have sort of two and a half D, um, because you can you can decide the angle that everything's going to be looked at to an extent in two and a half D. Um, so anyway, the, the Lonely Man game, it, it sort of came out, was all nice, and it was still at the back of my mind, because I've, I've always had this thing, that was, I mean, this, this is a sidetrack, I'm digressing, but I've also always had this thing since I worked on this game called The Final Option at, at Climax, which was canned, it never came out, but it was a, a sort of Grand Theft Auto type game, but, uh, I was doing the physics and uh, this thing I added was a sort of glide pack where you could kind of fly around. So it was like, it was like Grand Theft Auto and you could kind of fly around with a sort of jetpack. Um, a oh, bit it's like. Kind of like the wingsuit on, um, Far Cry? No, not Far Cry. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. In Just Cause, yes. Just Cause, yeah. Very much like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely like that. And it was brilliant. It was like, I loved it and everyone loved it and it was the best thing the whole game. It was so cool. Well, from my point of view, it was anyway. Um, but the game never came out, so I always wanted it to be in a game that did come out. Um, so th- that was another thing that was in the Lonely Man, and it sort of it was just this sort of set of weird things. But that that being on a planet and being a man that can fly is just some weird thing that's just built into me. It's like it's my weird thing that I've I seem to have implemented various forms of it like ten times or something. I, <laughs> it's my go-to thing because I somehow want to do it in real life, I suppose. Okay. Um, and and um, I, I feel like surely everyone would like to be able to just jump around and fly and glide a bit in real life. So therefore, I'm going to make a, a game that does it right. I, I feel like I've done a game that does it right now, so perhaps I can... Yeah. Perhaps yeah. I finally got it out of my system and can do something yeah. <laughs> that doesn't involve men that jump and fly. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's really where it came from. So obviously, in, in perfect perfect universe, the the planets are smaller, mm. um, which wasn't really part of the original remit when I did when I did the Lonely Man. But it, it's just something that stuck. It's just it's like, oh, I did that before. That'll be interesting. Let's try it out as a two point five D game. And when I did try it out, it was it was great. I mean, actually, there's a there's another reason, which is there's always a problem with any game of how do you deal with the edges of the world. <laughs> Like, you know, either you've got an island that just has miraculous infinite sea around it. Yeah. In which case, well, that's a bit weird. Like, what, yeah. what happens if you keep flying into the sea? Do you have a wind that blows you back? Or Well, well, I mean, let's, what does Battlefield do? That's right. It, it, it says you're... It just, uh, it just says you have to go back, which is a bit right. horrible. <laughs> um, it's kind of annoying. And, you know, or, or a platform game that just has a weird, miraculous room. Like, yeah. there's, there's, you're outdoors, but in a room at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And, so the, the beautiful thing about having a sort of planetary type setup is that you don't have edges in the world, but it organically and naturally is self-contained. Um, I do have to have edges in the in the rocket ship one though, because of course you can just fly off into space in that. So that's that's why the uh, the Starlight game mode has a weird uh, sort of biosphere thing around it. Yeah, it does. I noticed that. It's very nice though. Yeah, I like yeah, I, I like, I like bouncing off of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's. I just wanted to get into that. Why gravity? Why you could have gone anywhere with this thing? But uh, no, it's 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 a great thing to orbit around. No pun. Or I mean, obviously, when I did gravity, I didn't know what it was going to become. You know, had gravity not turned out to be exciting, it would have been something else. But uh, <laughs> it also, luckily, happened to be something I tried out that I think is quite fun. 
Well, Will, thank you very, very much for your time and your uh, candid responses to my, my questions. I do appreciate it. And the wonderful history uh, of your, of your uh, storied history of your time in the video game industry. Um, I've got to ask, you know, um, it, it's coming out on, it's out on the PC right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that is that all of the things, or is it just Windows PC? I can't remember. It's is just it? Windows PC at the moment, I'm afraid. Right. And it's, you're hoping to heading off to consoles and things like that very soon? Uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully May uh, for PS4, um, and maybe some uh, some other consoles further down the line. Depending yeah, that's, that's next month, isn't it, May, believe it or not? I know. It it's is like, next month, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, obviously, I've, I've got a baby coming as well this month, so it's, oh. it, assuming I can manage to get through QA before the baby's born, it will be out in May. If somehow... My baby is born and I haven't gone through QA. Might be a new staff member. No. <laughs> yes, I'll get them to test it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. No, no, no gibbling. Now, come on. Oh. <laughs> now, what do you do? No, that, no, no. She'll not. probably be better than I am at games. Yeah, probably. Straight That's away. Yeah. Works. Okay, well, like I said, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you, Chris. Best of luck. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan. No apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye